What comes to your mind, church, when you think of the word hope? What have you been hoping for this week? Hoping for your favorite sports team to win? Maybe hoping for the good grade back for those college students, maybe taking finals to get through the week? Hoping that you'd get that special message from someone special, or maybe not receiving the message, hopefully? Or maybe hearing back from a job interview that you've had, hoping to provide for your family, hoping to make a difference in someone's life, hoping to be an encouragement to someone, hoping that God would change you? What have you been hoping for this week? Maybe hoping to see a change in your spouse or your child's behavior? Uh, My beautiful wife Emily and I, we're kind of at this phase now in our parenting life where it's just kind of this vicious cycle. I don't know if you can relate or not. But we wake up in the morning and we pray for our kids that they would behave, listen, and care for each other. And listen to us, really, because we are full of wisdom and knowledge. Um, so after we have this amazing time of prayer and hopefulness, we're greeted in the morning and we're like, oh, hi, Evie, how are you doing today? And then he just kind of looks at us and goes, and we're just like, okay. Well, that didn't last very long. And then, of course, when we hear that, we kind of just like snap at him and become impatient and we start getting upset and raising our voices. And then we feel really guilty. It's this vicious cycle. And we drop him off at school. We drop off Addy for babysitting. And then we feel upset about how we treated him or how we said what we said. And so then we pray again, Lord, forgive us. We, we want to be good parents. We want to show grace. We want to show patience. P- please help them to listen and be obedient. And then we go again and we see him at, after school. We pick him up. And we're already full of like, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this this time. Hey, Evie, it's so good to see you. <laughs> and then it's like this vicious cycle of back and forth. So I don't know if you can relate to that, but it's like uh, back and forth. We want to have patience. We want to serve the Lord and help them to love Jesus and love others. Um, but those are some things that we've been praying for. We all hope for things. And what we hope for speaks a lot about what we care about, who we are, and what we believe about God. So what have you been hoping for this week? The Apostle Peter writes to believers and helps them to understand what they should be hoping for. So at this time, ushers, you can come forward and you can distribute the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you, just take the Bible for this morning. Um, And if you don't own a Bible for yourself, please take a Bible. It is the inspired Word of God. Absolute truth. Sharper than any double-edged sword that that speaks to us and changes us because it's God's word. So we're speaking from God's word this morning as we open it up in 1 Peter. And as Pastor Brian taught us last week, we learned that Peter's writing to believers in Jesus Christ who are exiles. This means that they do not have a place to call home. We've also learned that all all believers are spiritual exiles. We're called to live a holy living in a hostile world. We know that today, many believers all over the world are being persecuted for their faith. And so we, we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. We, there is a Lifeway research, uh, research done as well by uh, Open Doors Ministry discovered that 
about one in every seven believer was significantly persecuted for their faith in the last year. That means their life was at stake. About 13 Christians every day lose their life for the sake of Jesus. The life situations of the believers that Peter wrote to is very much true today, even when we can't see it happening. And church, it's, I think, a great reminder to us that I really think that we live in a minority where religious, we have this religious freedom to worship without harm to us or threat to our families. So when we read from the Word of God today, please remember our brothers and sisters in Christ that like the first century Christians, this is an everyday reality for them around the world. And we praise God. We praise God that he's given us and his people, no matter where they are in the world, he's given us a great hope. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We have a living hope. And it affects who we are, what we believe about God, and how we are to be obedient to him. So before we open up and read from 1 Peter chapter 1, let's pray. God, we, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that we would be open to hearing your word, open our ears and our hearts so that we would receive your word as truth. We would believe it, hold firmly to it, that by the power of your spirit, you would change us. God, we want to be obedient to you at all cost because Jesus is worthy of it worthy of our praise, worthy to be followed. And we pray that you would help us to be obedient to you, God. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. I'm just going to read the first section. It's verses 3 to 9. You can follow along in your Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Believe it or not, when this text was translated into English in this version, these are only two sentences. There's a lot there in just two sentences. And I love that when Peter gets into it, at the beginning of this letter, he introduces himself, he addresses who he's, he's writing to, and then the first thing he gets into, he doesn't talk about his credentials, he doesn't talk about why he was chosen to be one of Christ's followers, he doesn't talk about how he was one of only three people to see the transfiguration of Jesus, he doesn't boast about himself, but he gets right to the point. And he brings up God. Praise be to God. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, a common word of praise where he now introduces a new name for God. All throughout the Old Testament, we see names of God. But this name is new and not 
revealed in the Old Testament. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's name is Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see a similar word of praise to God throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 14, the king priest Melchizedek offers a praise to God. He says this, Praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. In Ruth, it says, The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. In 1 King, David says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see my successor on my throne today. Peter praises God for being the father of Jesus, not to signify that God created him in any way, but God relates to Jesus as a father relates to his son. The father plans, directs, sends, and the son listens, responds, and obeys. All things come from God the Father through Jesus the Son. Peter starts with a praise to God because he knows it is in God alone that all physical and spiritual blessings come. It is God alone that our hope is rooted. So now Peter says, who according to his great mercy, God did not give us according to what we deserved, but he gave according to his great mercy by choosing to save people through Jesus Christ. You see, God's mercy for us is centered on Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We remember from last week that Brian shared with us that how believers are elect exiles. God has chosen the believer and shown his mercy through Jesus. He hasn't chosen us based on any desirable attribute, but he's chosen us because of his great mercy. I'm kind of reminded of like the NFL draft. They're hoping that these players will produce and be effective on the field, right? It's not like God looked way ahead and saw, man, that guy, he's going to do great things for me. I'm going to choose him. He didn't. That's not how it worked. Because anything good in us is ultimately from who? It's from God, not us. He didn't see anything desirable in us to choose us, but it's because of his great mercy. What God did, he did it according to his great mercy. So what did God do according to his great mercy? Let's keep reading. He has caused us to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? I'm reminded of John chapter 3 where Jesus met with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Do you remember that story? He came to Jesus to help him understand the same question. Jesus spoke of two births. We are born from our father and mother of the flesh and born again of the spirit of God. Church family, because of our spiritual imperfection and rebellion to God, we are spiritually dead. Not spiritually dying, spiritually dead. We need new life. We need God to regenerate our hearts and for him to give us faith, to trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins to be born again. This is why we can be considered a new creation in Christ. It's why we were singing these songs this morning. We are born again of the Spirit of God. This sounds very similar to Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with 
which he has loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. We are born again not because of our own effort. We are born again of the Spirit. We cannot save ourselves. God did not choose us because we did anything good. We're dead, and apart from Him, we are dead. But God, rich in His mercy, chose you, chose me, and He gave us salvation for a simple reason because it was according to his great mercy. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what then? If we deny ourselves and accept Christ as our Savior, we are born again. So what? What now? What benefit does that give us? Well, let's keep reading. Look at verse 3 again. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope that Peter talks about here is much more than just wishful thinking, but a guarantee of something. So when I mentioned the question before, what are you hoping for this week? I gave some examples of things that we may hope for, but even some of those things, they're not guaranteed for us in this life. The living hope Peter shares with us is more than wishful thinking because it's set on an incorruptible inheritance in heaven. It is for sure guaranteed. Why? Because we already have it. Peter knows this to be true because he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus give his life on the cross. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus placed in a tomb for three days but then he himself went to the tomb. He was there. He went inside and he saw it was empty. Then Jesus himself met with Peter and he saw Jesus alive, resurrected from the dead. Do you believe that? Our living hope is as much alive and true as the living, breathing Jesus Christ. But church, that's not all. This living hope allows us to obtain an inheritance. Have you ever dreamed of an inheritance? I tend to think of money and a will when I hear the word inheritance. And whether we realize it or not, we all have inherited things from our parents, good, maybe bad things. We've all inherited sin from our first father on earth, the OG Adam. Again, the idea of inheritance means the receiver didn't do anything to deserve it. It's given to them. They're only the recipient of the inheritance. So perhaps you have received some kind of inheritance in your life. I'm not sure. But let me tell you, any good things we may have inherited in our lives do not even compare to what is mentioned here. Because none of us have experienced an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. 
And as I was studying these words, it's really difficult for us to understand how amazing this inheritance is that you have. The three words that Peter used to describe the inheritance, they make all the difference, imperishable. It means it will never decay or wear out over time. I don't know, I've heard of foods that are called imperishable, have you? Certain kinds of foods we bring to pantries and things and we can store them on our shelves for a long time, but I still don't think they last forever. I think they still have an expiration date. And what we have is our inheritance is way better than your favorite box of macaroni and cheese. Its shelf life is forever. The other words that are associated with this word imperishable throughout the Bible, God's word, our resurrected bodies, and God himself. It's unlike anything else that we can experience on earth because this word is used to describe eternal heavenly realities. The second word he uses is undefiled. It means it is pure. Like the priests that would enter the presence of God after offering the sacrifice, they would enter undefiled because they were made pure by the blood. This inheritance cannot be stained or polluted by sin. It has been paid for and covered by the blood of Jesus. His sacrifice purchased this inheritance for us. Everything that we experience has been tainted by sin. We cannot yet understand how amazing this inheritance is. Last word he uses is unfading. It means it will never grow dim or lose its beauty, glory, or worth. This also means it's impossible to put a price tag on it. Its value is immeasurable. It's unfathomable. Growing up, um, as a family, my dad would say this phrase often. New things make us happy. When we would get a new toy, a new video game, and anything new, he would say, new things make us happy. He was right. But for a little while, he would add that last tagline on the end. Because we get used to things, don't we? After a little while, they're not new anymore. We get bored of them, and we get used to it. They're not shiny and sparkly, and they don't perk our interest as much as they used to. But this inheritance is unfading. It means we'll never ever grow bored of how amazing it is, the newness of it. We will never ever get used to it. And all this is true for you, church. Because Peter says it's kept in heaven for you. Verse five begins with the phrase, who are protected by the power of God. This is another reason why this living hope is much more than just wishful thinking. But for us to obtain this inheritance, we need to be there to obtain it in heaven. And the born-again believer are kept by the power of God through faith. The word protect kind of has a double meaning here. It can mean kept from escaping. It also can mean guarded from an attack. So Peter he loves to use these words that bring on this picture in our minds, that God is preserving believers. He's preserving you from escaping out of his kingdom, and he's protecting us from any external attacks. We cannot lose this inheritance. No amount of power from the world, the devil or others, can take this inheritance from us because God's power is at work in us 
by the means of our faith. God's power is constantly at work in you, through you, through your faith. Sometimes we forget, God, are you really working in my life? How is God at work in you? By continually sustaining your faith in him, he's working. God is constantly working through you. Our faith is a gift from God. It's not something we should take for granted. But the continuing of our faith and your faith is a work of God too. God is constantly working in and through you, church family. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. And all of this for the goal of something amazing. The goal of salvation. The inheritance is salvation. So let's just pause for a second. Let's recap where we are. What has God done for us? He's shown us his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again. He's given us a living hope so we can obtain an inheritance that has been secured by his power through faith. All just from two sentences. Now, this inheritance, this salvation, has three aspects that we see throughout Scripture. We learn this from reading God's Word. There's a past aspect of salvation. This deals with the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is what? Is death. The penalty of sin is eternal second death, separated from God. But you were justified in Christ. Sins placed on Christ and his righteousness placed on you. The past aspect, the penalty of sin has been taken care of. Presently, the second aspect of salvation, presently you are being saved from the power of sin. First aspect, penalty of sin. Second, the power of sin. It no longer has dominion over us. You are not a slave of sin, but a slave of righteousness. The Holy Spirit gives us power over sin. Praise God. First aspect, penalty of sin. Second, the first penalty of sin, power of sin. Finally, finally, we will be saved from the presence of sin. All decay, trouble, grief, anxiety, sickness, failure, evil, death, gone forever. The presence of sin, we will experience God himself with pure peace, joy, holiness forever and ever. Praise be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter appropriately responds to this truth as he's communicating it. Verse 6. You greatly rejoice. Rejoice in the truth because we have an inheritance. Church, life is short, but our inheritance is forever. Sometimes we go through a season of heavy grief. We can be tempted to think, God, where are you? I must be so out of God's will if this is how I'm experiencing life right now. There's a season to be unbelievably happy, and there's seasons of deep grief. But Peter is telling us, no matter what season you're in, don't be shaken. If you're in a season of grief, pain, suffering, why? Because your faith is being tested by fire. God is always at work. God wants to display our faith, for it is much more precious than gold. You're being tested by fire. And I know, church family, many of us even here as we sit here together, we're being tested we're enduring some very difficult things. The trial is necessary. And I say this 
not eagerly, but because the grief is necessary. We need the grief for our faith to be tested and tested to be true. But it can be difficult to praise God for something we do not yet have. And I know for some of us, even coming here this morning to sing praises to God can be difficult. But Peter's reminding us not just to wait for the future, but because when he was talking to these believers, they were living in this world too, and they were exiles. Everywhere they went, they had no home. Everywhere they went, it was hard. There was no place for them to lay their head. There was no place for them to get a sense of relief. They had no place to be, and yet they could rejoice. Why? Because they were living obedient to God, Christ, and they were suffering for it. They were truly living like Jesus, following after the one who showed us what it means to suffer. And that's a guarantee. Jesus showed us how to suffer unjustly. We must entrust ourselves into the trust of God when life's unfair and intimidating. These temporary things are trying to get us to forget about the eternal things. Testing and trials are inevitable. Testing and trials are inevitable. They will come until we meet Jesus. So we must face them with faith and joy. The result is worth it. Church, don't give up. You're not alone. Look around. This is our inheritance. He's speaking to a community. We're not left without hope or help. For God has given us the people of God, the church and God himself. He's protecting you with the power to persevere in your faith, remember. Trials and suffering, only then do you get to see who you are. When we get to experience God in a completely new way, and those of you who are going through some suffering, who have been through suffering, you know what I'm talking about. Just knowing the truth about Jesus, it's not enough. But we need to experience his love, his grace, his faithfulness, his mercy amidst the suffering. Peter, when faced with hardship, he ran, he hid, and he fought back. Read the Gospels. We see how Peter reacts. He tried to be the hero and he tried to take on basically an army when they were arresting Jesus. But he's learned from Jesus. Now he's saying, no running, no hiding, no fighting, but suffer. Church, we need to change our minds about suffering. We need to have these sufferings for the secrets of our hearts to be revealed. We need suffering to allow God to work in us. And there's another great application for us today. When we think about our daily lives, our daily circumstances, they might be much different than the first century believers here. Here's what I mean. Look around. What do you see? A lot of good things. We're safe. We're comfortable. We have plenty. I would say we have excess. We have homes. We have a community. We have entertainment, just to name a few things that are much different than the first century believers. One of many reasons I love the Word of God is His Word 
is for us, even though our circumstances might be different. And we might face tragedy and painful circumstances, hardships and trials. I know that to be true. But these truths also give us a hope amidst the trials. But church, the reality is where we live is one of the most affluent areas in all of the world. The world. What I'm saying is we're surrounded by a culture that values things that don't always line up with the same values of the kingdom of God. Some values in our culture, maybe productivity, maybe hard work, career success, luxurious conveniences, and those things in of themselves are not bad. We need this word today to remind us that our hope is not based on what our culture values. We can be easily convinced that the value of hard work towards success, the success that should never come at the cost of our families, our time with the church, or the cost of others, but we should be skeptical of progress becoming the same as convenience. Because to pursue eternal things is not convenient at all, but it takes time and sacrifice, doesn't it? And we can be tempted to believe that our call, because of our surroundings, is to achieve the highest paying job, to be accepted into the top of the line schools, or to make sure we have the best financial security for when we cannot work. We can be tempted to believe that if we don't achieve these things, that we failed somewhere, or God failed us, or we didn't have enough faith. Bigger does not always mean better. Faster does not always mean more effective. Busier does not always mean productivity. Especially when it comes to the kingdom of God. What are you hoping in this week? Take these things to heart, church. May we be so focused on the heavenly things, not so that we become complacent in our daily lives. It's not that we just put our lives on hold waiting for the things to come. But we're so focused on eternal things that every single second counts. Because we have such a short time here. This is the only opportunity we have on this side of earth to work for the Lord so we can build his kingdom. It's the only time in this life that we can make an impact for eternity and help others receive this inheritance of salvation. And sometimes I waste it because I'm so focused on things here and not eternal things. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Children, be careful who you look up to. Parents, be careful to show your kids who to look up to. Church, be careful what things win your heart. May it be Christ. May he reign supreme. I think this is a great reminder to us that there are many people around the world that do not have a home because they're forced to leave their homes. Thousands of Tens of thousands of refugees are forced to leave their home. And you know where they are? They're here in Bucks County. 
Over 10,000 refugees are trying to learn a new culture. They're trying to learn a new language. They're trying to learn a new life. They need people like you who will look out for them. They need people who will not judge them based on how they speak English or what they believe or what they look like or how they dress. But they need people who will love them, who will stand up for them, who will advocate for them, who will love them like Jesus. Jesus himself, he said, you love me by loving the least of these among you. The things you do for them, you do for me. May we care more about the people around us than we do for ourselves. This month of May is actually National Foster Care Month. Hundreds of thousands of children without a home. They're looking and waiting for a place to call home. And many believers, even in our church family, they're receiving that specific answer and that call to love and care for children in this unique way. And I'll tell you, we need more people who will not just be willing to do that, but they will open their home to these kids. Are we willing to sacrifice safety, comfort, convenience, pleasure, entertainment for the sake of God's eternal kingdom? It doesn't always have to look the same for us, but the same goal is in mind. And Peter says, rejoice. He doesn't say fight for religious freedoms. He says rejoice. Our goal is the same regardless of where we live on this earth because we are exiles. We belong to God's kingdom. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our God, our God is so good that he's given us a goal to serve him by loving others and sharing in this eternal inheritance. So what will it be? What are you placing your hope in this week? Is it God's eternal inheritance of salvation for you? Or is it other things that can't even compare? Let's close with the last three verses. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Peter's saying that the prophets of the Old Testament, they eagerly searched and investigated their own prophecies, other scripture, and their own time in order to find out who or what time the Spirit of Christ was indicating when the Spirit in them was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories of his kingdom. In other words, we know who Jesus we know what time, when Jesus' lifetime in the church age, we should read the, read the Old Testament prophets eagerly, expecting that our hearts will be stirred to praise God. They were waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah came. They only had a shadow of what, was is, what is to come. They only understood part of it. Now we understand. We have 
the full scriptures and we have a great appreciation of the spiritual blessings because God's plan is far greater than what we can even understand. Then he mentions this, things into which angels long to look. There are passages in the Old Testament and New Testament where people encountered angels. Did you know that? In 1 Corinthians it says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. So this isn't teaching that we have guardian angels, nor do our loved ones become angels that look down on us. But perhaps there are angels studying us right now. God uses us to teach angelic beings. The angels watch and they delight in the glories of Christ's kingdom, the way God works in his people. That the world may think Christians are insignificant, but church family, God has a great, significant plan for you. I pray that we would hope in this living hope. Know that it is a guarantee for you that it would change the way that you live this week. Consider others before ourselves. Consider Christ's kingdom before our own. Because it's worth losing everything over. Let's pray. Church family, pray with me. Lord, we, we just ask that you would help us all together as one body. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts Help us to become more like Jesus, who gave up everything for the sake of others. God, I pray that you would help us to think about those around us, the people that you've put in our lives. Lord, that we wouldn't waste the opportunities around us to share our faith, that we would be confident and bold to speak truth in the lives of others at whatever cost to us. Lord, I pray that we would, we would willingly give up our own life for the sake of of others so that they can know the truth about Jesus. May we love like Jesus. We thank you for your word that it is life-changing. God, we pray that we would go forth this week understanding the great spiritual blessing that you've given us through this inheritance because we are born again, because you have caused us to be by our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church family. Have a great week.